But again, I thank the Lord for the privilege. John, the 17th chapter. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5. Let us stand once more. For the reading of God's word. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, and the word of God reads as such. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Amen. You may be seated. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Oh, our glorious, wonderful, heavenly Father. Abba, Father, we come before your mighty throne of grace one more time. Lord, we come as humbly as we know how, knowing that we do not deserve to be in your presence, but because of the precious blood of Jesus, you allow us to come boldly to your throne. You allow us to know you in a personal and an intimate way. You are not a far off God. You are not an unloving or uncaring God, but you cared about us so much that you sent your only begotten son. And Father, as we look into these scriptures, as you communicate to us this divine love story, Father, you have been doing all things throughout eternity for this moment that we may have eternal life. Oh, Lord, we thank you. And I pray that your spirit will fall fresh upon us this morning, oh, Lord. Whatever cares and issues and drama we may have, may we give it to you right now. May we place our burdens at the foot of the cross that you may deliver us. Oh, Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your word says, oh, Lord. Father, I stand here right now having no confidence in myself, but I have all confidence in the God of this universe, the creator of all things. And, Lord, we are confident that you have declared when your word goes out, it would not return void. Lord, accomplish what you desire this morning in us and through us. May our lives be changed. May our hearts be transformed. May our will be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus the Christ. Father, have your way. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. In keeping with our theme for 2011, I'm connected. Have you been staying connected this week? I pray you have been connected this week. But this morning, I want us to think about what it means to be connected to Jesus. And how does that, how does that work itself out in and through our life? I want us to think about that, that direct connection to the mind. Not an indirect connection. We, we know about indirect connections. You know, we got them cousins and 
them cousins here, them cousins there. Like, how does how is that your cousin? I don't know. I just know they're my cousin through such and such and such and such and such and such. But that's my cousin. So those indirect connections. But let's let's think about this morning about being directly connected to Jesus. I want to think about how being directly connected to the vine brings nutrients and sustenance to our soul. For without the vine, the branches cannot live. We're dealing with life this morning. For in the scriptures, it is clearly spelled out for us that those who are abiding in Christ, they will have life. Those who cling to Jesus will have eternal life. And throughout this gospel, even here, the apostle John points us to life in Jesus. As a matter of fact, in chapter 20, verse 31, he says that his whole purpose in writing this letter was that we will know that Jesus is the Messiah and that we may have life in his name. But what comes to mind when you think about eternal life? Do you think about chubby angels floating on clouds, little wings on their back? What do you think about when you hear the words eternal life? For most in the church, we, when we hear the word eternal life, it has become synonymous with heaven. Eternal life, heaven. And eternal life has become a, a place. It has become a category. It has become just a location. And yes, looking through the, the lens of eternal life, we do see that Heaven is the dwelling place of those followers of Christ. But as Christians, we want to be careful in relating eternal life only to and directly to heaven. Because if, if eternal life is only heaven, then my entire goal in life is just to get there. If eternal life is just heaven, then I have no accountability right now. If eternal life is just heaven, I mean, I have to wait through this life to get my blessing. If eternal life is just heaven, then all the spiritual power is in glory and not here on earth. What I want us to see from the text this morning is that eternal life is something distinct from heaven. As a matter of fact, no one enters heaven without first having entered eternal life. Let me say that again. Eter uh, no one enters heaven without first entering eternal life. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, that's what we got the text for. Let's look. And I want us to see this morning three things from the text. I want us to see that eternal life is not a location. It's a relationship. Secondly, I want us to see that eternal life is not earned by man. It's given by Jesus. And then thirdly, I want us to see that eternal life does not begin in the future. It begins right now. So looking here at the 17th chapter, this particular prayer by Jesus has gone by different names throughout history, but we commonly call it as the high priestly prayer. And here in the 17th chapter of John, this is a transitional moment in the ministry of Jesus. He's transitioning from his earthly ministry into his position as a high priest. He's getting ready to take care of business 
on the cross in our steed. And just as it's common for us to close in prayer after we finish gathering, Jesus is praying. They have just had a meal. Jesus has been communicating where he's going. He's the servant. He has washed their feet and told them to do the same things. And he begins to pray. And one thing about prayer, you really can't hide who you are when you begin praying. Because prayer has a way of exposing your heart. That's, that's why I believe why Christians, it's like, who would like to pray and we're like, <laughs> like, where do Christians go? For whatever reason, we feel that there's something in us that we just can't communicate with God in front of other people. But, but prayer exposes your heart. And we should hear the heart of Jesus in this text. He is so concerned for us. He is so concerned about his mission. He is so concerned about his glory. So as he begins to pray, we see that he says, Father, I've accomplished what you have sent me here to do. And that is to gather and garner eternal life. So from the text this morning, we see first that eternal life is not a location. It's a relationship. Verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, being removed some 2,000 years, we hear these words and we may not feel the weight of these words, but to a first century Jew, this would have been radical. This would have been radical because... Most times when the Bible talks about knowledge, it talks, it's talking about a, a, a close, a intimate, a personal relationship. But the religious community at the time had distant, had placed God at a distance. Jews no longer seen God as a personal savior. They seen him as someone lofty and high up that you really couldn't get to. Matter of fact, they didn't even say his name out of fear of blasphemy. But Jesus reveals that we can know the Father in an intimate and personal way. Eternal life is entering into a divine relationship with the one and only king of the universe. A uniting, a, a joining, a merger of our lives into his that we may know him. This word know in the text is translated from the Greek word gnosko which means to know experientially or intimately. Know an, an active, intimate, growing relationship. And I believe what, what, what Jesus is communicating here in the text, uh, to know God, to know him the same way that Adam and Eve knew him in the garden before sin. It was a relationship like none other, a pure relationship, a holy relationship. A single relationship. When the text says, and, and Adam and Eve stood before God naked, it, it's not just they ain't had no clothes on. It was they were exposed, transparent before God without shame. Because no sin had entered in. That is the relationship that Jesus is communicating. And for us, 
Think about our relationships. Think about how we yearn for a relationship. We yearn to be connected. We yearn to be known. We yearn to be seen. We yearn to be loved. So much so that we will connect ourselves with the wrong people just to to say we have somebody. Just to say I got a boo. Just to say that I, I can bring somebody to the wedding reception with me. We will connect ourselves with the foolest of the fools just to say that I've got somebody. But Jesus is saying you don't have to tie yourself up with the fools of the fools, with the dumbest of the dumb, the meanest of the mean, the the wicked of the wicked. You can't tie yourself to me. I tell my young ladies in the Youth group all the time. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle on just what shows up. If you're going to settle, settle down on your knees in that pillow at night before God's throne. If you're going to settle, say, I'm, I'm settling to have Jesus as my boyfriend. Don't settle. And, and God is saying, you don't have to settle. You got the best relationship right here for you right now. It was the Father's desire to commune with us this way from eternity past that he may know us. When you look at the biblical narrative, why why did God go through such pain, such agony? Why did he deal with the knucklehead of Israelites? Why did, why did he raise up prophets to speak to a people who wouldn't even hear him? Why did he, he, he bring about David and Solomon? Why did he go through the trouble he did? So that we may know him. That relationship in the garden, Genesis 3.15, was broken. And in Genesis 3.15, he says, you messed up, but I'm going to restore. I'm going to have one that crushes the head of Satan. That is my plan. We see in 2 Corinthians 5, 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them and entrusting to to us the message of reconciliation that we may know him. Eternal life is not just the location. That's why we review Psalms 73, 25-26. Do y'all remember that? Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, see the psalmist knows it's, it's not just heaven because Say I got to heaven and God wasn't there. Will it still be heaven? Say I got to heaven and, and God decided that he wants a new house. But I, I, but, I, but I got to heaven. Would it still be good? Would it still be that very thing you wanted? That very thing you desire? We have become far too concerned with just getting to heaven as Christians. We're more concerned about getting to heaven rather than being in a faithful relationship with the Father through the Son. 
We have been taught that have, by, by just getting to heaven is the ultimate goal of the Christian life. Entire evangel evangelistic efforts has been said that people just get to heaven. A perfect example of this is those methods that are taught. You approach somebody like, do you know Jesus? If they say no, you're like, well, do you want to go to heaven? Heaven's just a place. If you died tonight, where would you go, heaven or hell? Our question should be, if you died tonight, will God know your name? Do you know Jesus? Do you want to get to know him? It's this type of teaching that leads us into thinking that eternal life is more of a possession than anything else. When we only want the place and not the God who rules the place, then eternal life becomes a possession that I can put in my pocket and walk away from and only return to when I need it. This is the reason why I believe so many people make professions of faith but display no outward appearance of salvation. This is why so many young people graduate from high school, go off to college, and go buck wild, and we don't see them again. Because someone scared them to say, well, I just want to go to heaven. I wonder right now how many young people are saying to themselves, I can't wait till I get 18. I ain't coming back to this board no more. Mama ain't going to be waking me up. I ain't going to Bible study. I'm asleep in every Sunday. We laugh because we know it's true. Because they think that I just want to get to heaven. Forget about having a relationship with this God who owns heaven. Maybe little Jill and Johnny haven't really gotten off track. Maybe they was never on the right track in the first place because they just wanted fire insurance. A great illustration of this is Mark 10. Turn with me in your Bibles to Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark the 10th chapter. And the 17th verse, an excellent example of this. Mark the 10th chapter, verse 17, the story of the rich young ruler. This is Jesus. He was going out. And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want this thing you got, Jesus that you've been telling people they can get from you. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. See, the, 
This young man was rich, looking to add to what he already had, earn himself. He wanted this new thing that Jesus was offering. I want this eternal life. Give it to me so I can have it. So when they ask me in Bible study, am I saved? I'll say, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Give me this new stuff, Jesus. But Jesus is talking about here in the text, an ongoing relationship with our creator. And God bless us. But we get this wrong sometimes. God bless us as parents, but we get this wrong sometimes. We, we only want the best for our children. And we think we're giving them great and godly advice, but we, what, what we end up teaching our children is not a relationship, but just to meet goals. We say to our children, go to school and get an education. We say, go to college and get a degree. We say, get a job and make something out of yourself. We say, get married and raise a family. We say, oh, 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 yeah, and you better keep God first. So you need to go to church. And that's good. But our children do exactly what they were told most times. They go to school and get an education. On their list, check. Sometimes they make it through college and get a degree. Check. Sometimes they make something out of themselves and get a good paying job. Check. Sometimes they get married and have children. Check. Oh, and don't forget, they keep God first by going to somebody's church. Check. Nowhere in our conversations do we say to our children, my greatest desire is that you love Jesus. My greatest desire is for you to be broken by your sin, for you to repent of your sins and trust Christ for salvation. Nowhere do we say, and after you know Christ, my greatest desire is that you will walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. We don't tell them that whatever you do in life, as long as King Jesus got you, You'll be all right with me. We tell them you're going to be a doctor and you're going to be a lawyer. And you're going to be this and you're going to be that. What did God say they were going to be? He may need them to be a missionary on the mission field. They may, they may go or they may be broke all their life. But if Jesus said they're going to be broke, did that mean he has them? My heart longs for the day that my children say, Daddy, I want to be a follower of Christ. My heart longs for the day to see my children, to see Jesus. As parents, we need to communicate that. We have their best interests at heart, but understand no matter how much we love our children, no matter how much we care about our children, God loves them more. And he can do a better job at taking care of them than I could ever trust him. 
Eternal life is not just a place. It's a relationship. Commune with the Father today. The text this morning tells us that eternal life is not a location, it's a relationship. But secondly, eternal life is not earned by man, it's given by Jesus. Let's back up verse 1. Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Now watch this. Since you have given him authority, Jesus, over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. This again is radical in the first century. Radical because Jews believed that since they were born a Jew, they was good. They didn't need to really do anything, but because their father was Abraham, they were going to heaven. But Jesus makes it plain that he's the one who gives eternal life. Why? Because he is the only one with the proper authority. He's the one with the proper endorsement. He's the one with the proper credentials. Eternal life is not inherited. It doesn't come because you were born in a good church-going family. And if you were to ask most churchgoers today if they believe that they could earn their way to heaven, most of us would normally say, nah, we, I can't earn my way. It's only through Jesus. But then when I have pressed people on that issue and, and, and say, well, are you saved? Uh, most times I get the response, I say, are you saved? They say, I go to church. Are you saved? I've been baptized. Are you saved? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. I didn't say you believe in God. Do you know Jesus? Those are the conversations we have to have. Deep down, for some reason, we do believe that we can earn our salvation, and we can achieve it because we do good, because I'm nice. Well, I ain't cussed nobody out at work all week. Lord, I deserve to go to glory. You do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> What's important here is that we understand we don't earn anything. Jesus gives us, us eternal life because it's a gift. Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through who? Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus has the authority to give eternal life because Jesus paid the price for eternal life. He can give it because he bought it. It's his. He owns it. Parents can relate to this one. About their you know, young people, parents have full authority over the refrigerator. Yeah, young people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Parents have full authority over the refrigerator. Why do parents have full authority over the refrigerator? Because parents go to the grocery store to buy the stuff that goes in the refrigerator. And because they put the stuff in the refrigerator, they have authority over the refrigerator. Makes sense, don't it? Well, let me tell you, the only way we can get eternal life is through Jesus because Jesus 
pay for eternal life. So he owns eternal life. So he gives eternal life. Nobody else. Nobody else. Jesus alone paid the price for our redemption. Like any other gift, eternal life had a cost. And Jesus paid for it. Turn with me to Revelation. The fifth chapter. In the back of your Bibles, Revelation, the fifth chapter. Beginning with verse nine. And it says, and they sang a new song saying, watch this, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Now there was a moment in heaven where everyone's waiting for the seal to be opened. And everyone was looking left and everyone was looking right. Like who can open the seal? And then John said he began to weep because couldn't nobody open the seal? Couldn't nobody open this blessing? Nobody could do it. All the billions of billions of people in heaven. Couldn't nobody do it. But they say here, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open the seals. Why? For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. He's worthy because he shed his blood. He gave his life. He paid for eternal life by leaving glory. Taking upon humanity born in a manger. He paid by overcoming Satan and living a perfectly sinless life. He paid when he told the Father, not my will, but yours be done. He paid when they arrested him and falsely accused him. He paid when they brutally spat upon him and beat him. He paid when they placed the crown of thorns upon his head. He paid when they marched him up the Via Della Rosa amongst ridicule and mockery. He paid when they placed the nail in his left hand. He paid when they placed the nail in his right hand. He paid when they raised them up and the father poured his wrath upon his back. He paid when they pierced them in his side. He paid when they placed them in the tomb. There he lay. There he lay for three days. But on Sunday morning, was no more pain to be done because the transaction was complete. For he came out of the tomb with that receipt that said paid in full eternal life. Jesus paid. The song says Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed. Not me washed. He washed. Not my mama washed. He washed. Not my daddy washed. He washed. Not my pastor washed. He washed. Me white as snow. 
For the scriptures tell me that there is no salvation in any other. For there is no name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved. For man to have the audacity to say that there is any other way to glory besides Jesus is unbridled arrogance. And we don't have to, I mean, you be nice to people, but you don't have to accept that, that, well, glory is kind of like one big mountain and we just go up different sides. That's a lie. That is a lie from hell. Because it's a lie that wants to keep you from the true and only living way. Jesus is the original. It's weird when I when I when I'm thinking about Jesus sometimes, I used to be I used to be in a marching band. And I, w- I went to a, a, a racially mixed high school, but I, I would see the those historically African the uh, historically black, black colleges, and they just they just come on the field and they just show out. And I was like, I'm gonna be in one of those bands. But it's, I always found it interesting when the band would come out. They would, the announcer would say all these superlatives about this band. They're this and they're that. And here they go. But they will always say one thing. Often imitated, but never duplicated. <laughs> Often imitated, but never duplicated. And I just stopped by here this morning to tell you my Jesus is often imitated, but he's never duplicated. Because he's the one who put the work in for when it matters the most. Because Muhammad didn't put no work in for me and Buddha didn't put no work in for me. Those are all false religions. Didn't put no work in for me. Tell me if there was any other way to the Father. Why did Jesus do what he did? Why did he go through what he went through? There was any other way. Matter of fact, he asked, Lord, if this cup can pass, Father, if there's any other way, if there's a wise man somewhere that can lead men to you, if there's some prophet who gets a word from an angel, if, if there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will but yours. He did exactly what was required to purchase eternal life. And that's the great thing about eternal life. Because he purchased it and he gives it, we never know who he's going to give it to. That should give us hope. For the long lost son, the long lost daughter, the long lost grandchild, the long lost cousin, the long lost auntie, the long lost uncle, the long lost whoever. We, you don't know? Stop writing people off. Jesus can save them. He gives eternal life. There's one time in my life I wrote somebody off. A young man came to my youth department. Silly, silly young man. He would have a smile on his face. You know, he started early. I got him about 13. He's excited. 14, he's excited. 15, you know how 15, 16 come, they start feeling themselves. 
started trying to figure it out on his own. And then he just gone. Just gone. And I remember I would see him in the street sometime in the hood, like, I would stop and talk to him for a minute, and then I would pull off and, like, man, he's he not thinking about God. And I remember a few years later, when he was about 23, he was shot. And he died. And I went to his funeral, and I was looking at the obituary, and the spirit just, just pierced me and said, you gave up on him. Don't you know there is no impossible with me? There's no one who's too far gone. There's, there's no one I can't rescue. You stop giving up and you get on your knees for these people that we know need Jesus. And I keep that obituary today to remind myself, never give up on anybody else. Because God is able. Yeah. Eternal life is not a location. It's a relationship. Eternal life is not earned by man. It's given by Jesus. Then lastly this morning, we need to understand that eternal life does not begin in the future. It begins now. If Jesus is saying that eternal life is a relationship with the Father through the Son, then once I receive the free gift of salvation, eternal life begins. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John, the fifth chapter. First John, the fifth chapter, verses 10 through 12. And it says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Eternal life begins now for the believer. Though we are dead in our trespasses and sin, those in Christ have been made alive to live for him. Our eternal life, this, this fellowship, this, our service to God begins now the moment you trust Jesus. Eternal life begins. What are we called to do? 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Eternal life is about living for Jesus. It's about understanding and knowing that he died for me, that I may live, now I'm going to live for him. If you have repented of your sins and received the free gift of salvation, then I encourage you this morning, live. In the scriptures, when someone was encountered by Jesus, their life was changed. 
I'm reminded of the story of Zacchaeus. He had to see Jesus. He ran up in the tree, and then Jesus came up and said, Zacchaeus, come down, because I, I have to come eat with you. And when he came down, that same Zacchaeus who went up was a different Zacchaeus when he came down. Because he had an encounter with Jesus, and he said, if I've done anything wrong, if, I, if I've swindled these people, I give back. And sometimes we have to have that type of of encounter with Jesus and say, Lord, I'm not the same person I was yesterday. If I've done anything wrong, forgive me and I will make do. And my life will change. Put off the sins of the world. Don't let these sins entangle you. Don't let these sins get up on your back. See, that's what it means to abide in Christ. I I'm not putting on this world because I'm getting my sustenance from Jesus. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't have to snack on what the, the junk food this world is serving. I got the full buffet right in front of me and I'm connected to Jesus. What sin are you dealing with this morning? Put it off. Put on life. Put off the chains of disobedience. Put on obedience. Put off the change of gossip and put on trust. Put off the change of deceit and put on truth. Put off the chains of drunkenness and put on sobriety. Put off the chains of adultery and put on commitment. Put off the change of sexual immorality and put on, the, put on purity. Let Jesus clothe you in his goodness. There's no need to live under the constant burden of sin. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I praise God for the fact. I, I, I may have, but I, I, I can't think of any lies that I'm keeping up. Because you know when you lie, you got to tell another lie to cover that lie. And then you got to remember that lie to tell another lie to cover up that lie. And then you got to tell another lie to cover up that lie because you told this lie to that person and that lie to this person. And all of a sudden you got a web of lies that you're caught in. And you can't get out. You just been lying so much, I don't even remember all the lies I told now. So I can't keep up with them. Let Jesus set you free. Because when you deal in honesty, I, I don't have to remember what lie I told you because I told you the truth. And I don't want to have to remember what lie I told you because I told you the truth too. And I can walk past, clear conscious. Yeah, they're looking, at, they're looking directly at me. Hi, how you doing? I don't have to turn my back. Because they see me coming. Eternal life is not a location, it's a relationship. Do you really want Christ or do you just want his stuff? It's changed your desire, or you only want fire insurance. Eternal life is not earned by man, it's given by Jesus. Have you been working to save yourself, or have you received the gift of salvation from Christ? Have you trusted in any other besides Jesus to save your soul? Eternal life does not begin in the future, it begins now. What eternal path are you on? One leading to life, or one leading to death? Are you living for the one who died for you? How then shall we live now?
knowing these things, we need to have a change where a combining of our head knowledge merges and melts with our heart knowledge. Many of us know Jesus intellectually. We know what he did. He died on the cross. We know, we know verses, but we don't know him relationally. We don't know him in our hearts. There's never been a change in our life and our behavior. We, don't, we, we really don't love Jesus. I only come to church because it's the right thing to do. I love coming to worship because I love him. I love him. Our minds may be on Jesus, but our hearts are for ourselves. And we say things like, yeah, I know Jesus down on the cross, but I'm just having a little too much fun right now. Yeah, I, I know Jesus loves me, but young people, I just serve him when I get a little bit older. We see every day. Who says you get older? Yes, I know that I'm in sin, but Jesus knows my heart. And that's why he, he died for your heart, because he knew it's corrupt and dirty and need to be transformed and changed. Enter into eternal life today. Enter into that personal and intimate relationship with the Father through the Son. For the scriptures declare that today is the day of salvation. Your eternal life begins today. Change your approach when, you're, when you go to people who need Jesus. Don't tell them you, you need to go to heaven. You say you need Jesus. You, you need to know the Savior. Let me tell you about a man who's able to change you. Let me tell you about somebody who's able to walk with you at those darkest times of your life. Let me tell you somebody who, un who really understands you. Let me tell you somebody who's been tempted the same way you have been tempted but was able to get over to the other side. Let me tell you about somebody who saves the soul. Some of you have been looking for a meaningful relationship your entire life. Only to be disappointed by man. Jesus is saying here, enter into eternal life that they may know the Father. Where have you placed your hope today? Is your hope in what you can do? Do you have enough confidence to put your eternity stake in the fact that you said a prayer? That you was baptized? That you go to church? Not my hope. Like the song says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground will let you down. All other will disappoint. All other will hurt. All other will be difficult. But Jesus is the rock upon which I stand. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are truth. And we thank you that in you, 
is found eternal life. Lord, we're not worried about getting to the place. We just worry about knowing you. For if we know you, all things will be made right. And all man will be made whole when they repent of their sins and trust you alone. Father, do a work in us. Do a work in force this day, oh Lord. May we abide in you like we have never abode before. From our waking up to our goings out and coming in, may your name be on our lips. May your name be on our hearts and may your name be on our minds. Just because we've fallen in love with you, Jesus. We thank you for the privilege of worship. Father, we know your spirit is working. Break us that you may build us back up into something brand new. Let us not worry about recovering what may have been lost, but may we seek the true bread of life, the living water, who is Christ Jesus. Father, we pray now that you will have your way. In that son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.